Hello and welcome to another edition of Christian Deep Dive. Today we're truly going to do some uh, deep diving because we're going to get into a subject that a lot of churches, a lot of people, a lot of ministers try to avoid, and that is where the Bible talks about the words chosen, the words predestination, foreknowledge, and election. Now these are heavy topics, things that a lot of people don't like to get into, but you know what? They're scattered all through the Word of God, especially in the New Testament. And there's examples of it in the Old Testament. Uh, so we have to talk about it. Uh, you know, I've met a lot of people that when I ask the question about this topic, and I say, well, what does your church teach? Or I've even talked to pastors and say, what do you teach about this? And they say, well, it's so controversial. It's something we kind of avoid it. We don't talk about it. And some of these are churches that call themselves full gospel churches. So that confused me at first until I realized that churches that call themselves that typically mean they're going to talk about the book of Acts, where there's some churches that avoid the book of Acts as well. So we need to consider all of it, the book of Acts, uh, all of Paul's epistles, all of the gospels, all of the Old Testament, all that we need to be teaching all of the Bible. And so I appreciate teachers and pastors that are out there that uh, when they do their sermons or their midweeks, they go through the Bible. They go through the whole Bible. In fact, one of them said, uh, I have to go through the whole Bible because it forces me to deal with each and every scripture. And let's face it, if it's in the word of God, that is what we should be doing. So let me start with an opening scripture just to let you know where we're going with this. And it's from 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. And it says, we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, beloved brethren of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what we're talking about here is that God's sovereignly predestined or foreordained people to be born called the elect, you'll see, we'll get to that in a minute, called to be the elect in the scriptures, um, and they are the ones that Jesus came. He came and he died for everybody, but he died, the, the elect are the ones that would respond by his foreknowledge and predestination. Um, I, I think that uh, one of the things that I want to stress is this is not anything new. This is not a new doctrine. It's just something that's been avoided. Um, let's talk about the scripture I just read, the truthfulness of the doctrine. It says, God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation. So I want you to prove that this election is absolute because it says he has from the beginning chosen you to salvation, not for sanctification, but through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Next, I want to stress that this election is eternal because our text says God has from the beginning chosen you. And next, it's also personal. He has chosen you. Then I want to also look at the effect of the doctrine, what it does, and how God enables us to look at it and its tendencies and to see really if it's true or not. What does the word of God say about it? But first, I want to talk to you about the history of this. Um, you know, some people say, well, this is a new, this is something new. And they only say that because they've never heard it taught. But the early church fathers believed along this line, the sovereignty of God and the doctrine of election. Um, 
And I want to read to you uh, something that was back, you know, everybody's heard of the Church of England, you know, it was one of the biggest churches throughout the Middle Ages and that kind of thing. And I want to read what one of their articles said about this as I was researching it. And I quote, this is from the 17th article of the Church of England about predestination and election. And I quote, predestination to life is the everlasting purpose of God whereby he has continually decreed by his counsel secret to us to deliver from curse and damnation those who he has chosen in Christ out of mankind and to bring them by Christ to everlasting salvation as vessels made to honor. Wherefore, they would be endued with so excellent a benefit of God to be called according to God's purpose by his spirit, working in due season. They, through grace, obey the calling. They be justified freely, and they be made sons of God by adoption. They be made by the image of the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. They walk religiously in good works, and at length, by God's mercy, they obtain to everlasting life. So again, if you see that, you can see that the early church of England over there in Europe uh, was certainly a proponent of this. It wasn't until the 17th century that a person named um, Jacob, well, it's called Armenianism, and I want to talk a little bit about that uh, because that is basically the opposite of what uh, his name was Jacob Arminius. There it is. I lost my notes for a moment there. And basically, he came against this doctrine, but it wasn't again until the 17th century. The early church fathers, such as Augustine and others, uh, they were very strong proponents of this because if you look at Paul's epistles and also the Gospel of John, it's really hard to talk about against it. But this Arminius fella, and he's, it was called Arminianism now, he came along and he said, well, no, it's not. There is a condition of, of, of faith. He basically t teaches that you could lose your salvation, that you might be elect, but if you don't persevere, you could uh, drop it, you could fade away from it. And that is not what uh, the opposite of that, of course, at the time before that, John Calvin, so you hear about the term Calvinism, came along and he was strongly promoting this, but he simply points to the Bible, he points to the scriptures. And so you have the Calvinist who's to talk about the nature of election, the nature of grace, the extent of the atonement, perseverance in faith. And basically the, the real difference is uh, the Calvinists will talk about the sovereignty of God and how he, he preserves us and keeps us if you're the elect, where the Armenians say, if you don't persevere in the faith, if you, you can lose it, you can lose your salvation, you can uh, turn away. And a Calvinist would teach that you can't do that, that God's grace keeps you and saves you. And, and we'll give some scriptures to back that up later. Now, people will come up to me and say, well, Dan, are you a, does this mean you're a Calvinist? And I don't, I, don't, I don't really like either term. I can see in church history how they would argue and fight with each other on this. I simply say, no, I just follow the Bible because I would follow either one of these positions or some other positions if it's scriptural. So as I was studying this, I went to the scriptures, of which some I'm going to give you shortly. And I said, what does the Bible really say about this? What is Paul saying? What does Jesus say? himself in the Gospel of John when you sorry, read his fa his famous prayer of uh, 15 through 18. So I want to get more into this, but I want to explain the difference between these two things. 
But another creed that I found, an older creed that I found, it was called the uh, Waldenson Creed. Again, it was big in Europe back in the Middle Ages time frame. And it says this, quote, that God saves us from corruption and damnation, those who he has chosen from the foundations of the world, not for any disposition of faith or holiness that he foresaw in them, but of his mere mercy in Christ Jesus, his son, passing by all the rest according to the irrehensible reason of his own free will and justice. And so I think that makes that uh, pretty clear. To me, it makes it quite clear that this is no new novelty. This is no new doctrine. This is something that has been around for a long time, and it was way the way the Bible was interpreted. And as a final point of history that I found, let me read one more thing. This is the third article in the Baptist Confession back around that time as well. By the degree of God, decree of God, I'm sorry, for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestined or foreordained to eternal life through Christ Jesus to the praise of his glorious grace, others being left to act in their sin to their own condemnation to the praise of his glorious justice. These angels and men thus predestined and foreordained are particularly and unchangeably designed and their number so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. Those of mankind that are predestined to life, God, before the foundation of the world was laid, according to his purpose and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will, has chosen in Christ and unto everlasting glory out of his mere free grace and love without any other thing in his in the creature is a condition or cause moving him unto this. So again, um, this is, it was interesting to get into the history of this and try to understand, you know, what people have said historically. But as I said, let's get to, let's get to what the Bible says. Uh, of course, all through scriptures, you hear about the word elect, and, and we'll, we'll go over a few of those. But if there's if there's people who are called the elect, there must be an election. And Jesus Christ and his apostles were accustomed to call believers by that title, the elect. You know, Paul, a lot of his letters, you know, to the elect, to the elect, to the elect. And Jesus himself said, said in the Gospel of Mark, and I'm going to quote, Except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he has chosen... He has shortened the days. And then false Christs and false prophets shall rise and show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. Then shall he send his angels and shall gather together, what? The elect from the four winds from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. And that's from the Gospel of Mark. Scripture is taken from uh, Mark 13, 20, 22, and 27. You can look them up. And then Luke 18, 7 says, Shall not God avenge his own elect who cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? So together with a lot of other passages, which I could select, you're going to see the words elect, chosen, foreordained, appointed, or in some phrases, it's my sheep or some similar type of thing, showing that Christ's people are distinguished from the rest of mankind. And so I also want to get into something Things, of course, that Paul said, because there's really a lot here. Um, in Colossians, you can see Paul saying, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies. When he writes to Titus, he calls himself Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of 
God's elect. Peter, the apostle, in his epistle says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then if you turn to John, you'll find that in his writings, uh, his epistles, he says, the elder to the elect lady. And if he speaks of our elect sister, and then he talks about the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you. They were not ashamed of using that word in those days. They weren't afraid to, to talk about it. Now, today, the word is dressed up with a diversity of meanings, and people have multiplied and, multiplied and marred the doctrine in a way that um, they just have thrown it completely off kilter, in my opinion. But let me go on to some scriptures that really will nail it, in my opinion. Open your Bibles and look at John 15, 16, and there you will see that Jesus himself, when he's praying, has chosen his people because he says, quote, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask of the Father and in my name, he will give it to you. Then in the 19th verse, he goes on to say, if you were of the world, and the world would love his, then the world would love his own. But you are not of the world, because I have chosen you out of the world, and therefore the world hates you. Then in the 17th chapter, in the 8th and ninth verses, it says, For I have given unto them the words which you gave me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came from you, and they have believed that you did send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them that have you have given me because they are mine. Interesting to say that Jesus is saying, I'm not praying for the whole world here right now. I'm praying for those who you have given me. Now turn to Acts 13.48. This is the scripture that a few years ago when I was really, um, really, I don't want to say I was avoiding this doctrine, but I wasn't really pushing it. But there's a lot, this scripture here made a lot of scriptures make sense to me. And all of a sudden, um, I felt that the Lord was showing me this was something I needed to get into to, to really understand. And from Acts 13, 48, Paul is preaching to a bunch of non-Jewish people. And it says, and when the, Acts 13, 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And listen to this. And as many as been ordained to eternal life believed. So he's preaching to a crowd of people. And as he's preaching the word of God, the ones that were ordained to receive eternal life responded. Um, this, this really hit me really hard. Um, and of course, in Romans 8, which most Christians know very well, in the 29th verse, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, who he did predestinate, those he also called, and whom he called, he also glorified, justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And of course, I'm, I don't have time to go into the whole, you could read the whole ninth chapter of Romans and see more examples of that. And as long as Romans chapter 9 belongs in the Bible, I don't see how anybody could prove the concepts that are, are in Armenianism, because it would, you would really have to violate the scripture. Um, let's look at some verses from there, such as this. 
For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calls. And it was said unto her, The elder shall serve, serve the younger. Then in the 22nd verse of that chapter, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? and that he might know the riches of his glory and the vessels of mercy which he had prepared unto glory. Then go on to Romans 11:7, and that says, What then? Israel has not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. In the fifth verse of that same chapter we read, Even so, then at this present time, there is also a remnant according to the election of grace. And of course, uh, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 1.26, it says this, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of this world which are despised. Has not God chosen and and things which are not to bring to naught things which are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And again, remember the passage in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the opening text that I had, and trust me, there's many, many more that I could get into. And so I wanted to give you a lot of scripture today to show you uh, what, what I would wanted to say about this, because a lot of people then will hear this, and maybe I had the, I, I don't know, no, no maybe it's about it, I had the same reaction. I say, well, wow, how do I accept this? How do I, how do I see this? And this is where it gets personal for me, because as I studied these things, it made a whole lot of things make sense in the scripture. It made me question a few things, which I'll get into, but I thought about my own life, and maybe right now, dear listener, you can think about your own. When I was a child, I, we, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I would go, and the part that I liked the most was when they would do the very short gospel readings in the middle of the Mass, because that was the actual Word of God, and that's the part I looked forward to every week. Why was that? Why did I look forward to that so much? Why did other people I know find it boring, but I didn't. I wanted to hear it. That was the word of God. There was there was a tug on me. There was a pull on me, even at an early age that I didn't understand. Um, when I first saw the pictures of the Shroud of Turin as a teenager, I thought to myself, wow, if that's really what Jesus looked like, and again, now that I'm an adult, I can say we don't know or not whether that was authentic, but at the time I thought it was. So I took some scissors and I cut it out of the newspaper and I had it on my dresser because I said, well, if that's really him, I, I want to know, I want to see. And when I got my first car, um, I, I got a couple stickers and put in my car that Jesus is the key to life. And people would get in my car and say, what do you got that in there for? What are you playing Christian music for? You're not in church. Of course, back at that time, when I was that age, there wasn't much in the way of Christian music. There was some B.J. Thomas uh, tapes that I had. He had just gotten converted. Uh, I think Amy Grant was just coming out back then. But I would play that stuff, and people would get in my car and say, what are you listening to that for? You're not in church. You know, What do you have that in your car for? And these are people that went to church regularly and that kind of thing, but they just thought that the only time you paid attention to anything like that was when you were in church. So I, I, I sat back, 
as I was reading these scriptures a couple of years ago and things were, were making sense to me about the doctrine of foreknowledge and election, and it started to make some things clear to me as I spoke to other people where God would seemingly be drawing us along and not even, you know, to the point where when finally, when we understood the gospel and we were born again, it was like there was something leading us on into that direction. Um, recently, I had uh, somebody tell me that, you know, even when you're young, the sheep hear the sheep hear his voice, you know, and so it, as, a, as a little sheep, as a little kid, I would hear his voice and, and go along. And some of you may identify with that. Johnny Cash, before he died, you know, one of the last songs he sang was a song that uh, he did called uh, Why Me, Lord? And because all the way through his own life, you know, he had been called as a Christian as a kid, but he went here and there and wayward and all that kind of stuff. But he kept coming back. He kept, there was something that pulled him that kept him coming back. And he'd say, why me, Lord? Because a lot of his contemporaries fell by the wayside. They didn't come back. They didn't follow God. They weren't interested in God at all. And so it's also something that's very humbling because if you sit there and realize, say, wow, God called me, God elected me, God has kept me preserved all through that I would learn his truth and learn his gospel and and be his. To me, it's it's extremely humbling. Uh, it's something that you 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 look at and you say, wow, and it makes you love God even more. It makes you want to obey him. It makes you realize that he has set you free from the law of sin and death. And now that you're under grace and you uh, you want to follow his ways, it's not an outward thing where there's rules and regulations. It's something that's inside that says, I want to follow my God. I want to rise above the sin that's in my life. I want to be what he wants me to be. I want his Holy Spirit to fill me. Now, some people, though, that would come along and say, well, wait a minute, this is not fair. It's not fair that God chose some and didn't choose some others. And Charles Hagen Spurgeon, one of the great preachers, if not the greatest preacher of all time, certainly the greatest uh, preacher of the 1800s, he would preach uh, about predestination and election. And in a book that I read that he wrote, um, he said that uh, one time he preached uh, a sermon about election and people came, there's two old ladies came up to him. They were weeping and crying and they said, oh, pastor, I fear that we're not, we fear that we're not elect. We want to be part of the elect. What if we're not part of the elect? And he, he saw their tears. He said, my dear little ones, he said, if you want to be Christ, if you are saying that you want to be his, um, then have no fear. You are. You're, that drawing is there. You're being called. You're being pulled. Have no fear that you're not one of the elect. You are one of the elect if that's what you want. At the same time, he had some people come up to him who, uh, you know, they keep in mind when he preached, his church was like held more than 1,200 people. <laughs> so there was a lot of people that would wander in and out and that kind of thing. That's the way it was back then. And two guys came up to him and say, well, this is not a fair doctrine. How could you preach this? And he said, well, how, what do you mean by that? And they said, what do you mean we're not elect? And he said, I didn't say that, are you? And they said, well, you, you're making it sound like we can't be. He said, do you want to be? He said, do you want to be filled with God's grace? Do you want to be his? Do you want to be called? And they said, no, we don't want to follow Christ. We don't follow God. We don't want to follow God. Uh, but we think it's unfair that he did this. And Spurgeon said, well, then if you don't have it within you that you want to be, then you're not, <laughs> you know? So uh, it it's basically comes down to, 
you know, if you're listening to this today and you say, wow, am I one of the elect? Well, my question to you is, well, do you want to be? Do these scriptures apply to you? Do you want to follow God more than the sin and everything else that's tugging at you? Uh, because, you know, even though you are one of the elect, it doesn't mean you don't struggle with sin. It doesn't mean that you have issues and all that kind of thing. We all do. But the, the other thing, the, but the main thing is, if you want everything that Christ has for you, then yes, you're one of the elect. You're just going to be like all of us that are struggling. Uh, the people that I've gone to people and said, what if I could prove every point in the Bible to be true? Would you follow Christ? And they've said, no, I don't want your God. I don't want to follow God. I don't want any part of him. Well, those are the people that um, are not called. And I heard a story recently by a pastor who uh, told a story about two or a set of twins that were in his congregation. Now, both of these young sons or both of these sons were raised by the same godly parents. Both of them received the same Sunday school instruction. Both went to the same churches, heard the same sermon when they got to be into their 20s. One adhered to the Lord and wanted to follow with all, all their heart, and one wanted nothing to do with it. Yet they heard the same thing. Same thing. They were identical twins, um, but some are called. And a lot of people, again, say, well, it's not fair. It's not fair. We don't understand the sovereignty of God. You look through the Old Testament, and we alluded it to it in one of our scriptures where it said, you know, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Well, that doesn't that never seemed very fair to me, <laughs> but uh, it's like right from the start, they weren't even born yet in the womb. It said, Jacob, I loved and Esau, I hated. Well, that's the sovereignty of God. Uh, Whatever is going on there is the sovereignty of God and it's something that we just have to accept. And when you accept it for yourself, again, you become very grateful and very humble that God has called you and. Granted, the scripture, whosoever shall come, is still true. It's like Spurgeon talked to those lost people in his church. Look, if you want to follow God, then you're one of the elect. Um, a lot of people say that, um, uh, and this is a term, I talked about Calvinism versus Armenianism. There's a term out there called hyper-Calvinism, and that's something I don't agree with. And what that is, is, is uh, that uh, if that view is correct, then why evangelize? Why preach if people that are elect or eventually come to God and, you know, Jesus said, all my sheep, anyone the Father has given me, I'm not going to lose any of them. If people are going to be <coughs> called and they're going to respond, then what's the point of evangelism? Well, Spurgeon, again, I'll refer to him, he made a very good point about that. He said it makes evangelism all the more important because God has chosen to use us as his mouth, his hands, his feet to spread the good news. And Spurgeon said, if everybody that was elect had a yellow stripe down their back and I could just lift up their shirts and look and see who they were, then I could handle it that way. But he says, I don't. So he said, I preach with all the more fervor in evangelism so that those who are called are pulled out as soon as possible to be what God wants them to be. So I think it's important to note that. But again, um, I invite you to go back and look at the scriptures that... Um, I've quoted. I hope this opens us up to you in in a different way, in a new way. I hope that it excites you. If you realize that you are one of the called, you're one of the elect, that God's going to keep you. God's going to hold you, that um, he's not going to let you out of his hand, uh, that we've got a wonderful, exciting future ahead of us, living not only on this earth for him, but 
forever in his eternal kingdom. I think that's exciting that you can be secure in that. You can get excited about that because when you know who you are in Christ and when you know what your purpose is and you know what you're called for and you know that he's never going to let you fall so far away that you, you, you're not his, um, you know, it's it's just to me, it's exciting. Uh, it, it's just no matter what's going on in the world. And as I give this message right now, there's so much going on in the world that is not good. But I know I can look for I know who I am in Christ. I know what I have to look forward to. And I can get very, very excited about that. And it makes me all the more want to serve him. And that leads me to my last point. Some people say, well, if you know you're elect and you know that God's not going to let you go, doesn't that give you a license to sin? And the answer is no, because you're going to be quite miserable. Um, anybody that's truly been regenerated, truly been converted to Christ, um, yep, you're still going to struggle. You're still going to have issues. But anytime you fall into it, uh, you're not going to be happy with yourself. You're going to be miserable. Um, you know, it's it's just not a pleasant experience. Uh, you no longer can, shall we say, get away with it, you know, because you have a heavenly father and he does chastise us. He chastises his own. And uh, it's better not to get into that situation. Um, so there is not a license to send. Uh, Paul even says in his scriptures now, I didn't pull it, but it's coming to mind. He said, shall we continue in sin? God forbid. So he, he deals with that in, in the book of Romans. So we, we need to be aware of, uh, of what people say and, and what people you know will, will counteract this kind of doctrine. But I want to reiterate that this was the way the early church felt. Uh, this is the way um, a lot of modern people today are preaching. Very, there's various denominations that hold true to this. They're not afraid to get into it. Like I said, some are afraid to get into it. Um, but forget about you know, don't consider yourself a Calvinist or Arminianism or any of that kind of thing. What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say in the Gospel of John? What does Paul say throughout many of his um, scriptures? And if you understand that and you listen to that and you really pray about that through the power of the Holy Spirit and you want all that God has for you, I think you're going to realize, wow, I'm a saved, elect child of God and I have a wonderful, wonderful future ahead of me. Thanks for listening. This one went a little long today, but we really went deep. Uh, this is uh, Dan Moynihan with Christian Deep Dive. God bless you.